You're listening to Ra Ra Room Radio Podcast with OG Willikers, episode 55. This time we're featuring the Bay Area's most exciting DJ. That's right, DJ True Justice is on the line. He's a mainstay of the Bay Area and has booked national tours for many artists, including hieroglyphics. I'm excited for this. Let's listen to some music and then jump in. Just released um, 
a mixtape, and that was like the first one. You know, when you put out a joint, like the first thing you you want to put your best foot forward. So that's the first song off my new mixtape entitled "To Whom It May Concern." So thank you for that, man. What's going on? Not much. Con- uh, you know, just chilling out here in New Mexico, and you're and we're on the phone right now. So so you're out in the Bay right now too, right? Yeah, I'm out, I'm out in the Bay, man. It's it's, it's crazy, man, because it's it's fires and every direction oh yeah uh, you know man. what i'm saying yeah i don't know yeah man there's a lot of fires going on in in california northern california even oregon and it's crazy because oregon is really going crazy right now because they're not used to that type of thing like you know california we have fires all the time you know and the last couple of years last few years we've been having some major like major like life taking, property-destroying, just changing the whole spectrum fires type shit. Yeah, um, that campfire, that was only, it feels like five years ago, but it was just last year, I think, right? Yeah. And then uh, That one, the, the one in, uh, in, 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 in Paradise, which is right there by Chico, uh, the Santa Rosa, uh, fire that, that I think that the one you're talking about, man, it's just it's just so many. And then you know, Southern California is on fire. And then recently, just like days ago, uh, the Fresno Fresno area fire. That one is like crazy. Oh, and then like, and these are still these are fires. The the one that's going on in Oregon is still going on. The one that's in Fresno is still going on right now as we speak. And there's another one that just started, like, not too close from here, man. It's, like I said, man, it fires in all directions. And Oregon is going through it right now. I've seen photos. I have friends out in the Bay that have been posting just pics on their social medias. It looks like they're in some sort of, uh, like, apocalyptic video game terrain. It's it's insane. It's like a gray, Oh, yeah, yeah. That was the other day. And sky. it's crazy. Um... My tour, my tour mate, one of my one of my good friends, and and my tour mate, Michael Marshall. Now he lives up in Northern California in Humboldt County, where you know, where where the world's best weed comes from. <laughs> Period. Dot com. We could fight, we could talk, but the best weed comes from Northern California. Period. Hey, hey we got that with our green chili. <laughs> with our green chili, we have a li- we have a little beef with Colorado going these days about that. So I feel you. I, you yeah, you can have. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, Michael Marshall posted um, on his timeline the other day about how you know the smoke was everywhere, but basically the smoke was covering like you couldn't see the sun, right? So it was like early afternoon um, ish. You know what I'm saying? But it was like it was like six o'clock in the morning. It was nighttime. It looked like, right? So I saw that on his on his timeline, and I'm like, okay, he's about two three hours north of me, and so I was like, this is gonna this is what the Bay Area is gonna look like tomorrow. And so you know, I said that to myself, whatever, whatever. Went to sleep. The next day, woke up, and it was, you know, I wake up pretty early, so about six seven o'clock in the morning. You know what I'm saying? It looked like it was just, it looked exactly like how my, Michael Marshall posted it. And, and I wasn't surprised that everybody in the Bay Area was bugging out. Like on some, like you said, like apocalyptic video game crazy type shit. 
And so, man, and I wasn't surprised, but everybody else in the Bay was like, fucking I, I knew it was coming. So that's probably like the photos that you're talking about. Yeah, that everybody so, was yeah. fucking out. But it, was, it looked like that in Southern Oregon and Northern California the day before. So I knew, I knew it was coming. And yeah, nothing's surprising this year. So yeah, sure, apocalyptic skies, why not? Add it to the, <laughs> the madness. Exactly. Oh, man. Yeah, we're on a, we're, we have a little bit of fire going on here. Our mountains in Santa Fe, I mean, you can see from the town, not exactly open flames, but individual plumes of smoke right, right near. In fact, uh, a place I was hiking the very next day uh, was burnt out. Um, we were lucky we went out for a little hike like the day before all our fires started. It's not quite as bad as what you have going, but still, you go outside, you smell smoke. It's it's unpleasant. We're getting those bad yeah. air warnings on our phones. They're like, stay inside. Yeah, cra- crazy, man. The air quality has been way dangerous, but it was like at the same time, uh, I just got my I just, my bike was in the shop. My my bicycle was in the shop, and I just got it out yesterday. So, like the day before yesterday. Quality was horrible. The day before that one was was the day in question. What we're talking about the the basically red dawn skies type shit. And so I I got my bike out of the shop and I was like, hey, I'm gonna go for a ride. And I did. It wasn't that bad, you know. And then today it was a little bit, uh, you know, it cleared up a little bit. I got a I got a early start on trying to ride my bike, but I was trying to do this big long 10 mile ride from my house to the studio which ended up I five miles in I I, I hopped on the train <laughs> mm, well, so halfway. I, don't, I don't know if it was because of the you know because I've been you know my, my bike was in the shop for a couple of weeks maybe two or three weeks so I was out of you know practice so my stamina wasn't up I don't know if it was the air quality but I had to cut that that ride short bro you you could blame the smoke. I think that's fair. <laughs> well, I'm glad to see that you're doing okay and hearing. I mean, it sucks what's going on, but hearing that you're still out there trying to get it get it in on the bike and and just going about your life as best as you can in the 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 crazy apocalypse skies. Let's go to your music a little bit. Your history, you know, like um, I met you. I don't know how many years back we, but I, you know, I met you. And I'd heard of you through tales of talking to underground people, but when I met you, you were bringing in, uh, what was it? It was the, um, it was in Taos. It was the uh, fall harvest tour. What was it? The har something harvest tour. The harvest tour. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And you had. I, I remember that. You that had was, A plus uh... on your tour. Uh, who else was on that tour? I'm forgetting. We've done so much music over the years. <laughs> But I think you had a yeah, crypto. Um, so that was the first time we went. So that was that the that was was that the California Harvest Tour or? Yes, yeah, I was. That's right. I, I was missing the first word, California Harvest Tour, and it was with A plus, a crypto, you, uh, Z Man. AC Alone was on there. Oh, yeah, that's AC right. Alone. That's right. I knew it was just like legend. So when I yeah. met you, I'm like, damn, man, like this is this is who you're rolling with. <laughs> Well, well, um, so that's crazy. So, damn, I'm glad I'm glad you said that. That's when we met. Um, that tour, uh, the Harvest tour was started 
by Equipto and Oteo Dub. And it started as, um, I think, let me see, because that incarnation of the Harvest Tour was, I want to say the third incarnation. So three years before Equipto, A+, um, they started, the, you know, they had a project, um, Equipto had a project out, and A plus was pr- promoting the project, and they were kind of working together. So they started this thing called the Harvest Tour, you know. And basically, you know, everybody knows, you know, what whatever you're harvesting, you know, what I'm saying once you're done, that's like kind of like a feat in itself. It's a it's a completion. It's uh, you know, what I'm saying for your labor, whatever whatever crop or whatever you you harvest. When you're harvesting and you're done, it's ready. It's time for celebration. So that was, that was that was the uh, the means behind that. And what's crazy is I the first one I didn't even I didn't book it at all. You know, what I'm saying anything like that. I might have helped with a couple of days because I was I was brought in later as as a DJ. And so you know, if you don't know, I'm I've been a professional DJ for the past 27 years. But within being a DJ, you know, you tend to wear many, many more hats. And one of those being, you know, booking your own shows. And so um, that turned into another job for me. Like I've been an independent booking agent since about 2000. Oh man, my first, yeah, about 2007. I've I've been booking tours and telling and you know booking shows for my homeboys and total strangers. Um, because my the first ever ever tour I went on was in 2006, so I kind of caught that it was like a it w- well it wasn't like but it was a nationwide tour, so I kind of like caught the bug from that. So the next year I was doing my own thing. Man, so you just jumped uh, yeah, jumped man, that, all the way that, in. That, California Harvest Tour, like I said, it was the third incarnation. So the first one was just, it was A Plus, uh, Souls of Mischief, Equipto, and Michael Marshall, Oteo Dub, um, and nobody, nobody of, of, of hieroglyphics as well. And I was the DJ. So that year, that was the first one. It was great. And then we had did, the next year came around, I think we just did a Harvest weekend it wasn't like a full on tour um so we just did a weekend some spot dates here and there but then we got together on some big shit on the third one and we're like okay it's crazy because that tour kind of piggybacked off of something that was already going on so um equipto and a plus got booked to do this dispensary in Flint, Michigan to perform out there. And um, and we were working on some different stuff and we just actually based the California Harvest Tour off of that date and we ended up starting in Flint, Michigan and working our way around back to the West Coast. And then we, like you said, we did roll in the towels in Mexico on, on that thing. Um, and so you guys, uh, uh, your group, Outstanding Citizens Collective, right? That's you guys, you guys were on that show, right? Yeah, well, well, that's kind of how we met. Was I'm not really sure how 
how uh, we started talking, but you were trying to get my help to get you guys in Santa Fe. And I think maybe it was Meow Wolf at the time I was trying to book with them and we were doing some work with them. Um, and we tried, I, tr- I tried everything I could and hit up this promote, you know, you and I were in, in convert in, t- in oh, chats I back and forth. And just I, it kept, I, I kept coming like up empty. Okay. Yeah. Cool. And you were like, well, Hey man, thanks for trying. Uh, we got this one nailed down in Taos. You guys want to rock that? And that was our first opportunity in Taos. That's how I, uh, got to know, like met Nate Larson. So you actually, what I think is so cool about you is, you know, you're out in California and I've been doing hip hop in New Mexico for many years, but kind of more isolated to working on the local Santa Fe scene. I, I, we didn't really tour much, but um, you kind of connected those dots, which which actually kind of opened up a lot for our crew. And we started expanding and touring out. But what's cool is you're the one who did that. And it's like, hey, you know, this guy lives an hour north of you, does the same thing you do. I'm like, ah, not really a little bit. And you're like, yeah, be his friend. <laughs> so I was like, yeah. yes sir true okay and then we we've been working together steady so uh that's great man yeah man and, and the thing about and the thing that's one and that's one of the things that i love most about touring is and you know not you know, of course you get you get to rock on stage in a different city every night that's that's a given but what a lot of people don't realize is is the the connecting the dots part of touring that's so that's so fulfilling is because you know this like like you said this person who's doing something you know an hour away you know what I'm saying could never really you know what I'm saying sometimes it's like you guys don't never hook up for one reason or another you know but it sometimes it takes somebody to be like hey this guy's doing this thing over here you guys should really meet and I think like. The best thing about touring is meeting so many talented individuals, right? No matter where they're from, and and you know what I'm saying, and and connecting that and be like, hey, you guys should be, you guys should be doing this, and and like you said, like after we met at that initial show, bro, I I was running into you guys like every three, four, six months. Yeah, I laughed, man. I mean, you uh, let's see. Well, then you ended up coming back and playing my album release party. Um, with the with Chino on the the ladies' night tour, which I also released my album yep, that night, yep. and then uh, what was like three days later because we were kicking off a tour too. We ended up uh, rocking with you guys in Amarillo, and then uh, I've played with you in Gallup. You know, we've done Taos a few times, and then you were even our you even DJed our set when we were out in Oakland. The the one time we got to yeah, rock in Oakland. Yeah, I was just about to say you guys you guys came came to the Bay, and I was like, yeah. And the thing is, man. Uh, a lot of people, you know, have to build up this, this this touring thing as something that's so, like, it's rocket science and it's so unachievable when it's not. It's just, it's just, it's, it. yes, it takes hard work. Yes, it takes dedication. But, I, I, honestly, I hate, I hate to say it, but it's kind of simple. The things that you do, you know what I'm saying, at home, and the the amount of love that you get at home or whatever whatever your local area is, that can be duplicated in any city in the world. You know what I'm saying? It's just it just it just goes to where, you know, who do you know, who you can contact and, and things of that nature. And I kinda like saw that on my like I said, my first tour is two thousand six. I was the support act 
while the DJ for the support act for the coup. The coup went on tour in 2006. It was called Not Your Soldier Tour. And uh, a good friend of mine uh, named T-Cash, who was signed to Gorilla Funk at the time, which is Paris' label, um, and, you know, T-Cash was a good friend of mine. I just knew him from, like, parties and gigs and stuff in Berkeley and whatnot. So he asked me to be his DJ on that tour. And I had never toured before that, ever. You know, I did, you know, little dates, and I might have went out of town. But as far as, like, a real tour, I had never toured before. And so that was my first experience. And just, you know, being a new experience, I, I just was really, like, overwhelmed by, like, hey, this is a thing. You could go to a city every night, a different city every night, play a show, get paid, and just keep, you know, it's the best way on earth to promote a project. You know, it's the best way on earth to get your name out there. And it's the best way on earth just to meet different people from all walks of life. But music, at the end of the day, is the thing that brings us together. And so, you know, when I meet people such as yourself, such as Nate, such as my boy uh, Landon Wordswell, uh, such as Lopes Matic in El Paso, you know, when I meet individuals like like yourself and, and the people that I mentioned, I, I, you know, what I'm saying it's it's a it's a like-minded thing, you know, because I've been touring, you know, like I said, since 2006, but that doesn't necessarily that's not the criteria, man. I see, I see, like you, I see Landon, I see all those people, man, that just have this drive and this this talent and this like this love, the shared love for you know hip hop culture, man. And I'm like, hey, when I meet people like that, whatever I'm doing. I definitely, if I can't involve them in, in something I'm doing, I want to give them the tools, the opportunity to, hey, you can do this too type stuff. Because, you know, my first tour and, you know, all of that, I was put on. So it's always going to be my job to put somebody else on. Well, it's appreciated. And, and that's the outlook that I feel is necessary. I mean, we don't have to go too deep into this because I feel like it's easy to, but just all the, I call them selfie rappers or the ones that like, and they don't have to be rappers, uh, the ones that only show up to their events, don't really support the scene, don't really try to build. And they're usually the ones that uh, complain about being overlooked or not put on, you know, like that, that I dealt with that a lot. And it's like, that's just, I hate that. So, so when I meet people like you, that's like, yes, uh, we need more. That's that's the world I want to build. You know, not not these these poor me rappers. <laughs> yeah, I, I I I definitely know where you're coming from because uh, when I tell people about you know booking and going to uh, different places, and you know, there's there, people always like to be like, oh, this guy in this city, he does that. That's who needs to talk to. Of course, there's always that, but there's always two to three guys, or to, I don't want to say guys. There's always two to three uh, opportunities for you to get a show in any given city, whether it be the venue itself, whether it be a promoter, or what we call, uh, you know, a lot of people in in my business, what we call uh, rapper promoters, and you know, and they're and it's not a bad thing. Uh, some, you know, sometimes it can be bad. Sometimes it can be great. You know, I have experience with it all. 
but you know these are these are rappers you know are people that are in a particular city they have a music career of a budding music career or a music career that they further it by throwing shows in their own city and so they tend to be you know no matter who's coming through you know they tend to be the ones that are throwing the show they tend to be the ones that are rapping on every show or performing on every show and like I said that could be good or bad but say this per- this promoter doesn't want to pick you up or this DJ doesn't want to pick you up maybe you know you talk to one of these rapper guys or it's just always some it's always somebody else that can make things happen and the more people you meet uh, the more people you know and I like I like to work with them all you know what I'm saying I like you said I, I put people together but there's been times where I've put come to one particular city and it's been a promoter and there's and you know there's been a promoter that you know wanted the show or booked the show and it didn't happen and I went with a different promoter but I've put promoters together to like hey this is not you know it can be a competition but it shouldn't be because the scene should be the one that wins not a particular artist not a particular promoter not a particular dj the scene itself should always benefit from you know each show you know so it's like i I tell people man it's always like two to three people in every city you can holler at about getting the show yeah, no, I mean, I feel, you know, I think that's how I met you, actually, was through uh, Pablo, uh, DJ Shatter, come to think of it. Yeah, and I was that's like, my Because you worked with him. Shout out, shout out Pablo, DJ Shatter, and big up, um, my man just got, just got married early in this year. I know, because I was there, I was the DJ. <laughs> that's right, I forgot, he, he pulled you in to be his wedding DJ, that is dope, that is so dope, man. So, bro, I don't know if you know that, and how this even came about when we were in Santa Fe at that at that brewery the last time on tour with Zion Ott. Remember that? Oh, remember yeah, that show? yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm looking at the poster, the Underground Railroad Tour. That's right. The one where the you sent me like 5,000 flyers, dude. That was the craziest thing ever, man. I, the venue <laughs> so calls me. They're like, we got this box of flyers. Uh you got to pass them out. And I go show up and I'm like, Oh my God, there aren't even that many people in this town. Like, okay, cool. And I, I tried my hardest, man, but I could not get through that box. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, I'll tell you, I, I'm going to get, get to my little story about that show and, and DJ Shatter's wedding. But man, that, and that's kind of like my thing. Um, here in the Bay area, there's this place called, um, copy world where everybody gets their flyers done. And they have this, incredible deal and I still haven't seen it anywhere and I I travel all over the place so they have this deal right you put in your you have a flyer right you put in your artwork by Thursday uh, before 5pm right if you put in your artwork before Thursday by 5pm 4 by 6 flyer full color front and back they'll do 5,000 flyers for you and they'll be ready the next day. It's a one-day turnaround, and it's a hundred and twenty bucks wow. for five thousand flyers. Wow, man! Yeah, and, and I, that I, deal, <laughs> and even even the same place. If you want to get less flyers, like five hundred or a thousand or whatever, it costs more, bro. Wild, it man. costs more than like. And then I've never seen this kind of deal anywhere. That's and so I've kind of like five thousand flyers back in the day was like the norm. 
5,000 flyers, uh, five, 500 posters, what, what have you. That was what used to be the norm, you know, before the uh, prevalence of the internet and, and things of that nature. But even today, you still have to do online. You still have to do flyers. You still have to do that. And my thing is like, bro, I know it's a lot, but, you know, fuck it. I'd rather have 5,000 flyers, you know what I'm saying, than 100 flyers. And you're pretty much you're paying like uh, for 120 bucks, bro. I don't know where you can get fucking 5,000 flyers done. So that's kind of been my thing. And I was like, it's so cost effective that... Like, when I do shows, a lot of times, you know, uh, you get to the city and they don't do their due diligence as far as promotion. And so sometimes, being a booking agent, I don't really consider myself a promoter, but being a booking agent, I, I try to, we want the best outcome. So sometimes, especially when it's my show, I have no problem sending 5,000 flyers across the country and you're like, here, you guys, let's get busy. Yeah. I mean, so, we, yeah, we moved I, as I know many what you're as we, about. I've heard that a couple times. Like, why are there so many flyers? We we moved probably more flyers than we normally would have for any event, just because we had so many. Like, we got to get these going. I remember the night you guys got there too. I was like, hide that box. I don't want you to know how many are left over. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know how it is. Yeah. So so basically, rolled in that night. Right. We're doing sound check. We're doing you know we're setting up the merch. It's kind of like you know what we do. And Pablo, um, you know, and I've been, and, and I've been, it's crazy because I, I, the first time I ever did any shows in New Mexico, uh, was with, was with Pablo. Like the first couple, like, I mean, I've been doing shit for a minute and then Pablo was like one of the first guys. So, you know, me, he's just having a, a very good relationship with Pablo. He's a very great guy. Um. So he came up to me, you know, I'm running around. He was like, yo, I want to introduce you to my um, my fiance. And I was like, oh, wow. And he was like, yeah, we're getting married around, you know, uh, shit, uh, Harvest Tour. That was, I mean, no, the Underground Railroad Tour was last summer, if I'm not mistaken. July 6th. Yeah. So July 6th, 2019, 2019 right? So he's like, yo, I'm, yo, I'm getting married next year. And, and he kind of like, kind of kind of jokingly said, y'all would be, odd. what would it be crazy if you, you know what I'm saying, if you were like the DJ or something, and I was like, and it was kind of like a joke, laughed it off, and I was like, hey, bro, dude, I, it would be my pleasure to be your DJ for your wedding. And he was like, are you serious? And I was like, bro, come on, come on, man, we go back. And I was like, that would be something I would love to do. And so that night, you know, we talked about it, and then, you know, he kind of called me out on it, like, when we got, after the tour was over, so the tour was, like, June, I would say even July-ish, when I got home, hit me up, and he's like, were you serious? I was like, absolutely. That phone call, that initial, uh, you know, um, conversation, we, I, I got, I, I bought my plane ticket that day for his wedding for, uh, I think it was in February, 2020 or whatever, having no idea what was going on. February, January, I, can, I don't remember exactly, but it was earlier this year. And so we we, we got it on the books, put it put it on, this, and I was like, yo, I'm, I'm there. Not knowing that I would be in the middle of my uh, of Slap Frost first nationwide tour. Right. And so... 
Yeah, and, and the thing is, like, I booked a tour and it was going down, but I knew for a fact I was not missing Pablo's wedding. So the tour got booked, and with that in mind, and I ended up, uh, where was I, bro? I was like, I flew across the country to, to do uh, Pablo's wedding. Because I kept, you know, I kept the flights, and I just made some uh, minor adjustments, but I basically left the tour. Oh, I know exactly where I was. I was in uh, Louisville, Kentucky. And then, so what I did, booking the tour, knowing where I was going to be, we did the show in Louisville. And then I booked, I had three days off for the guys. I had to fly to New uh, New Mexico to do the wedding. And so the guys stayed back and had a uh, a ball in Louisville, and I flew back and, and met them and continued on with the rest of the tour. Man, that's well, that's awesome, man. Well, that's show that's true love for New Mexico. There, you definitely. Oh yeah, man! It, it, was, uh, it was great. It was great, man. And you know, shout out to Masters of Ceremony, who. Uh, oh right, and, he tours with he, you. Yeah, he came and kicked it with me. That's 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 my bro right there. He came and kicked it with me the next day. Um, after the wedding at the hotel, and it was so crazy because uh, my flight ended up being earlier than scheduled, and I didn't and I didn't find out until I'm sitting down with Master Ceremony eating my lunch, and I get, I get this alert on my phone. And I was like, oh, shit, I got to go. And, you know, that's the ceremony. He took me to the airport and made sure I got, you know, got to the airport and got my flight and rejoined the rest of the tour. But it was crazy because I was like, oh, my goodness, I really have to go right now. Damn. Well, that's good. That's that's the community we, we want to build, right, where we take care of each other. That's awesome. Most definitely. Well, maybe we should uh, play a little uh, little music now. Yeah, you know all this, all this um, tour talk, man. Uh, there's a couple songs that that really just put me in in that in that mode. But um, I just I, I want to get into this one joint. It's it's it's, it's a favorite of mine, and, and it reminds me of you know saying dipping out and hitting the road. But then there's there's always that special somebody uh, you know that you leave behind. So um, that. That song is called On the Road Again. Uh, the My Uzi Weighs a Ton remix. Actually, Q-Tip did the remix by the Jungle Brothers. Man, if you get man, I want to get into that one so bad. See, I give you pieces of my love so you remember me Love letters in the mail show me that you're still clear I reminisce about the kiss that turned into a love affair I tell you now I didn't mean to do you harm But your love was getting to me and my Jimmy
sweater Chillin' on the corner when I have bumped into data Sweet, sweet data, only angels look better But I ain't dead yet, so I best I go get her Hey, data, what if you said what you wanted to be? Cause I've been waiting for a while for you to come and get with me Ooh, aw, oh, she touched my heart This could be the sign of a wonderful star Because my love is that deep To some it is a treat Playing me for keeps Ball and chain at my feet I've got a curfew But baby I don't wanna have to hurt you She says she wants to run away with me But that can't be Because I was 16 and she was 23 But wait a minute Mike Let me take some time to rhyme about the Jimmy love when we push and shove It makes my daughter hug grow more and more Jimmy gets rave reviews cause it is a thought It's the abstract position Cause clear and fiction from below the waistline I can do it forever and ever and ever The black love muscle makes the girl from Cali Come to Queens on the hustle And play it when it's touched in the right, right way I turn your Monday into happy Saturday So open up your eyes Wipe the boogers off the sides, yo, you must know what you get So you won't be surprised, those right between your thighs It'll make your nature rise Fill you up, girl, like five potato pies I got the love tap in my Jimmy wears a hat That's massive Always cry when you tell me Absolutely. And as someone whose career is music, you know, you better have yeah, some songs that really I've, mean something I've to been, you. <laughs> I've been fortunate enough, man, to, to do this. Uh, I'm not going to say, I'm, you know, I didn't have the 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 crazy jobs and shit, the, you know, the jobs that you hate to do. Be like, man, I hate this fucking job, but I'm doing it so I can do my music. You know, I've done that. Oh, yeah. I've definitely done that. I just didn't have blessed to not really have to go to a job that has nothing to do with music and that I hate. I haven't had to do that since about 2005 was my last occupation that was horrible and it had nothing to do with what I really wanted to do. You know, you do what you can. You do what you can, you know what I'm saying? So hopefully at some point you can do what you want. I've waited a lot of tables. <laughs> 
be able to go on yeah, tour man, and I, all I, that I, stuff. I worked in food service for. I worked at. I, I'm from Berkeley, California, and so my mom was a cook on the campus. She retired from um, from UC Berkeley, but um, at the time, uh, I worked. I worked in the DC in the dining commons at UC Berkeley for years, and it kind of and it kind of led to a lot of the things I'm doing now because I I, I met a good friend of mine. I met his name is uh, DJ Solomon, world world renowned DJ, and unfortunately, I have to put a RIP because uh, he is. He's left this physical world, but DJ Solomon was very instrumental in kind of getting me on my first, like, first gigs, man. Just doing gigs up on the UC Berkeley campus. Like, me and Solomon was, he was a student at the time at um, Cal Berkeley, and he was a DJ, and he lived a block away from me. And he was very instrumental in and bringing me in those early days and doing rocking the parties in Berkeley, the um, the campus parties, the frat parties, and which uh, inevitably led to a year gig that I had over a year gig that I had at this place called uh, Larry Blake's Blake's on Telegraph. It's no longer there, but it's a, it's man, it was like a very very monumental venue. Back in back in the days, uh, that hosted every kind of music, um, and so I was. I found myself to be. I was the DJ on uh, every Thursday night. I was a house DJ, and and it's crazy because it seems like it's like very small, but it was it was very structured. The owner of the club had that he had two bands. Uh, Every night, he had one house band that was like the band that was there every week, and then they hope then they had an opening band that would come. So it was, it was two bands every night, and the uh, and the headlining band, the house band, would play. I want to say two sets. Yeah, they would play two sets. So the owner was he made sure that I was there at a certain time with people coming in. So I'd play like an hour of music before the first band. Right, the first band would go on. I would play after the first band, right, and then the house band would come on. They would play, and then they take an intermission, and I would DJ the intermission. Then they would play their last set, and then I would play after. Now, um, it it seems kind of simple, but at the time, uh. And, you know, I started DJing in 93, so I would, this was like 90, 95, 96, 97 type thing. And the owner was really adamant about, you know, me interacting with the crowd and letting people know, you know, like the drink specials, the band that was coming. And, and prior to this, I was a DJ and I didn't use the microphone at all. I, was, I just felt like, yo, my job is to play music. And so this owner was like, no, you have to, you have to interact, you have to do this. And you know, I'm getting paid every night. So this is what it took for me that, to, to get, this was my job description. And so after doing that over a year, I kind of, that's where I kind of developed my uh, skills on the microphone and, and being able to rock a crowd or, or control the crowd 
or just having, you know, saying a very great rapport with the crowd. Um, and that kind of, you know, now, like I said, that's early on. So that kind of stuck with me, you know, to this day, because, you know, a lot of, but some DJs don't use the microphone at all, bro. You know, I don't know if you, you kind of noticed that. Well, but you're one of the rare ones that I see. You're a DJ that rocks a crowd. Like, like I know MCs who can DJ or like do both, but like you rock a crowd just being a DJ on the mic. Yeah, and and this is and this is the origins of that, and it's kind of you know it's gotten me it's gotten me to uh it's gotten me all the way to Santa Fe and Taos, New Mexico. So you know it's something I I kind of like you know hone my skills, and that's and that's where those particular skills were were brought to the forefront. You know, and not right. not because I thought you know I'm. I, I'm the best person at rocking crowds. I just, that was my job description. I had to interact with the crowd. I had to make sure certain things were known and certain things. And, and as, as, as I went along, man, people started coming to these, these Thursday night gigs, you know, of course to see the bands, but the, the intermissions and the breaks, um, that's, you know, it, the night became popular because it was like a, a dance floor, a party rocking type thing. And as, you know, like I said, I was there for over a year. So six months in, you know, it started getting good and people started to come, you know, not only for the bands, but they came for the DJ. <laughs> nice. And were you, uh, was, it, was your DJ name the same back then? My DJ name was definitely the same back then. Um... I had a I had a DJ name that lasted uh that lasted one party one flyer well maybe a couple flyers but I would I would say my my DJ name was pretty horrible and it only lasted maybe like three or four months and 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 my friend I am gonna let your listeners know what that DJ name was this is like someone's telling their middle name (laughs) this is like someone who doesn't like to share their middle name you know like you're about to do that's that's like a musician exactly exactly (laughs) my first DJ name was DJ Skills with the Z ooh okay well yeah it's straight up it's pretty it's pretty horrible (laughs) (laughs) I don't think that's the worst I've heard but I'd say that's like middle of the ground like 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 if you were to make yeah, up a DJ it, name really quick, like that's that would work. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. And then a friend of mine after that, um, you know, and like I said, it didn't last that long. And a friend of mine was like, "Yo, dude, you should use your real name. Your real name's fucking awesome." And I was like, "Really?" And I was like, mm, "Okay." And I just, you know, I took it and and DJ True Justice, like True, is really my first name. Justice is really my my middle name. Uh, and you know, my last name's Allah. So, uh, you know, it's an unusual name, but it, it provides for a pretty good DJ name. Yeah. And it's, when it's actually your name, that's like, you can't even judge <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah. That's really my name. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I know I've met some people here and there where they have like a really cool, like their name, their actual given name is like cool. And then they come up with this cheesy rap name. It's like, why, why that? Like, use your name. I guess that's your story. <laughs> but, yeah, but yeah, I've, I've heard I, that before. I'm, I'm lucky. I, I, you know, I snapped out of that early. Well, I picked a really corny Very name, early, but I so. just, I just kind of kept it. I was like, you know, OG Willikers is what they call me. That's what I'll be. <laughs> yeah, because I really, honestly, can only think of 
will only picture in my mind one flyer um, that had DJ skills on it. And it was this cheesy-ass fluorescent green paper flyer. And it said, DJ, featuring DJ skills with the Z. <laughs> Do you still have like a... a- I think I've seen video of your lab before, or I don't know where you have that. You have a big Taos poster, I think, from one of your shows up, or some video you posted. Yeah, I, um, that was actually the, uh, uh, that was the year that Zion I and Casual were the headliners for Slap Frost. And I was booking the show with Nate Larson, and the date that I wanted was actually Halloween. And there was already a show on Halloween. It was actually um, Harness the Executioner. It was his. It was his show. It was his tour uh, it, that was already booked on Halloween at at the uh, at the Mothership House um, Mesa Brewing. So I actually twisted the hell out of Nate's arm to let us combine shows. That's how that came about because it ended up being, I was sad, sad that this long name because I think the name of uh, Carnage, his tour was Ravenous, something Ravenous? Something, ravenous. something Ravenous. So we ended up calling that show the Ravenous, oh man, it was, it was crazy. I, I'm not looking at the poster. But the the banner that you're talking about comes from that show because we I pulled it off. Uh, Nate agreed to combine the show, so it was Zion I Casual Carnage the Executioner, and oh man, just everybody else. Man, it was such a packed bill, uh, a stacked bill, and the show was incredible. Oh wow! And that was really I saw photos, a very emotional night for me. Yeah. Yeah, because the, the mothership, the uh, Mesa House Mesa Brewing, was packed that night. Mm-hmm. It was. Packed. I saw the videos. I was like, and, "Whoa, that's the biggest show I've ever seen there." <laughs> yeah, and Hip-hop the thing show. is, and, and and it was like after it was all said and done. So that was two thousand. That was two thousand nineteen as well. Early two thousand nineteen. Or that you know what? That no, was that was the Halloween. That was Halloween, right? So that was eighteen. That was, so yeah, that was that was Halloween. I, I believe it was 2018. Pretty sure. So and the thing, the, the reason why that was so emotional for me, at the end of the night, uh, you know, I'm handling the stuff, the handling business with Nate. And so 2018, four year, four years prior, bro, four years prior was um, no, three years prior. 2015, when Slap Frost came to the same venue uh, in Taos, uh, Taos Mesa Brewing, and I was touring with Locksmith. Locksmith was the headliner for 2015's Slap Frost. And that was the first time I was ever in Taos, the first time I was at uh, Taos Mesa Brewing, and one person came to the show. Oh, man. One. That's One person came to the show, bro. And I, you know, and, you know, shit happens like that, you know, even to the point where, where Locksmith, you know, we all know where he is in his career now, but at the, at the time, you know, uh, 
And they didn't come to see me, Z-Man, Blowcast, Slick, or anybody else. You know, that one person that paid came to see Locksmith. And, you know, and that just, that just, it, it just really, like, sticking with it and coming back and coming back to the, uh, to the same town and, and building the scene and, and, you know, planting the seeds and meeting different people and putting people together. Um, you know, so like I said, so three years prior, you know, it was one person in the crowd. And then we came back three years later on the same, it was still Slap Frost. You know, I, you know, as you know, I have different headliners every year. And so that was the year that Zion and Casual were the headliners. And we were able to, you know, like I said, twist, Nate's arm in the combining shows, combining tours, and at the end of the night, it was such a great look, you know, because of, you know, all these great different artists, because of Carnage, because of Nate's promotion skills and everybody else that rounded out the bill. So, like I said, man, it was a very emotional night for me because just three years prior, there was one person, and we packed the place three years later and we're still we're still having good shows you know we we, we just played uh that same room uh in March was it March? it was right before yeah yeah it was right before we had to come home because of COVID my March last, 2020 my last show was there I don't think it was with you guys though but I think we played there in uh February or March I think we played with Carnage though now I'm all confused. Yeah, man. he was. He was. Yeah, he was on the road a little bit before. He was on the road before a little bit before us. I feel like the last time we we did a show was at the uh, in Santa Fe at the Tumble Route for the Underground Railroad tour. But I could yeah, be yeah, wrong. Man. I, I, I want to say that was the last time as well. Because I know you guys were on this on this last show. We weren't on this last uh, cow show, but we were. Uh, okay, that's did Landon yeah, yeah. Landon played with you guys, right? What's that? Did Landon Wordswell play with you guys on that one? I'm for, I'm forgetting, man. There were so many shows going on, you know, and I, I was busy yeah, with man, my they, monthly they, at the time. They, they, they can be a blur at, at times, right? Well, they, I mean, more for you than anything. It's funny for me to tell you that, but even for me, man, <laughs> even for me, I still am like, wait a minute, let's get this straight. Well, that's the thing. When I talk to you, we're either talking business, talking about shows, or we're at a show and we have maybe a little bit of time to talk, but it's mostly... It's mostly just handling handling the work we're doing at the moment. So it's cool to have this opportunity to get to hear your story. Yeah, man, reflect, re- reflection is, is great. And, it, you know, just talking to you now, just like, it's just bringing me back to, like, you know, when we first met and how we've been continuing uh, working together. So, yeah, the, uh, in this capacity is very great, man, because, you know, coming home, I, I kind of, you know, with, with everybody, too, like, you know, with with coming home and then COVID uh, hitting, so, you know, shelter in place. So you're sitting at home and you're like, hey, well, things have changed for me, like, 100%. You know, I can't, I, you know, I, I can't go out and rock no shows. I can't DJ in front of a crowd. I can't even be in crowds now. So it kind of like everybody's sitting at home and figuring out what they're going to do. And I'm, I'm in admiration of you having this podcast for, you know, so long before I even thought about having it, but I'm, I have to be a hundred percent real with you. The only time I've seriously thought about having the podcast is when we got home and, and you know, uh, COVID there was very limited opportunities to have a voice out there. And so, yeah, 
I, I had never thought about having a podcast before then. So I salute you. And I salute this podcast for being around before and during and after COVID. Yeah, well, I appreciate that. Honestly, the podcast that made me listen like and be aware of podcasts um, was the Combat Jack show. Rest in, rest in peace, Combat Jack. Um, but that was the first podcast I ever paid attention to. And it's really completely by accident. I think somebody... Uh, I just ran across like one of my favorite artists um, happened to be on, you know, like I was like, oh shit, I think Public Enemy. That wasn't the first episode of podcast of Combat Jack I listened to, but I just just referenced. I'm like, I kind of came up on it by accident. So his podcast is really good, man. I, and the thing is, I I love uh, hip hip hop history. You know, not only do I love, you know, these groups from that era, but I love hearing about what went on and what's, you know, saying I'm I'm a real hip hop historian. Well, just music in, in general, like any biopic that has anything to do with music, I'm I'm there. I'm all over it. Well, and you're like in um, the Bay, so there's so much hip hop history there, like. Just alone, you could just focus on that forever and never run out of crazy yeah, stories. Yeah, de definitely. And so that kind of what got podcasts on my radar. And jokingly, I always like, I used to say, if I ever had a podcast, I'd call it, I'd call it Old Man Rants, and just talk about the shit as an old man, an old DJ, that, you know, would talk shit about, like kind of like, I don't know if you remember the the Muppets. Uh, they always had the two old guys up in rafters. Oh, yeah. Just talking major shit and, and cracking up. Those I was like, that, that would be me. That would be my podcast if I did it. <laughs> and I was jokingly for a while. And then, you know, after, uh, you know, after COVID hit, and I even joked about it on tour, this this last tour, uh, this last tour that I did, uh, the Slap Frost Review lasted from January 17th to March 13th. And we had like two to three weeks weeks left to go, but that's you know what I'm referencing. That that was the length of this last tour. So even on this last tour, I joked about it. But once COVID hit and everybody was in their in their house, uh, you know, at home figuring out their next move, I kind you know kind of just took the opportunity and you know I was made because Crypto had started a, a podcast before I did. And his the format was um, 405fm.com. And then I was like, and I asked him, I was like, yo, how'd you get that? And he was like, yo, the homeboy runs that. And so, I, you know, I called him up and I was like, guys, because I knew that they were creating content for, and it was fairly new, so they want to book shows. So I got, I got my Thursday night slot. I think my first show was Thursday, the last Thursday in May was my first podcast ever in my, I actually broadcast from my bedroom. Um, I only did one show from my bedroom because uh, June 1st, me and Equipto opened up a, a recording studio here in Oakland, California. Oh, wow, uh, I, I didn't Castle. know that. Yeah, we opened a studio called Castle Grayskull. And it's kind of like, you know, it's kind it's not nothing super big, but it's about, I like to call it a man cave styled recording 
the studio because it's basically the size of a living room, a, a pretty good size living room. I, you know, I have an ISO booth in here, a recording booth, a control board. I have my turntables. Equipto had, we, we built a wall, me and Vocab Slick built a wall for his vinyl. And so we've been here since June 1st. So like That's I so said, dope. my first Old Man Lance podcast uh, was from my bedroom and then June 1st we moved here. So I've been doing it here ever since. And, you know, it's just kind of like, I know it, it sounds crazy, but it's not like all negative, you know, because I'm not talking so much shit to people that are not from my era. So it's called Old Man Lance because it's gripes, music from a certain point of view. From a point of view of a a 47-year-old black male in America who happens to be a hip-hop head and a DJ. So... All my points of view are coming from that from that stanza right there, that stance right there. So it's not, you know, and it's nothing against the younger people or the new generation of hip hop. It's, you know, if it's my show, it's coming from a certain point of view. So you know, you don't have to listen. But that's always right. that's always been my angle. So I I kind I kind of come from it. You know, I do play new music. But there's not going to be a show where I don't play something from my era unless it's like a special, you know, on location or whatever. So I, I sit there and I talk about my old man rants. They're numbered and I go through them. There might be one, a show. There might be 15. But, you know, I play new music, old music, and just basically what makes me feel good for from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. For two hours... Every Thursday night, it's all about me, you know, and, and you know, whatever that may entail, what's going on in this hip-hop world. I've had some awesome shows, and honestly, I don't really know how many people listen, and really, if nobody listened, I'd still do it for me. That's awesome, man. Uh, so is it, so it's a podcast, but it's, it's live at a certain time? Every, yes. It's live, because um, I'm just like, I've always been like doing shit live. I know there's ways to record and do this and that, but every Thursday night from 7 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, you can hear Old Man Lance music gripes from a certain point of view from DJ True Justice on 415FM.com. Also, on twitch.tv slash 415FM. So yeah, I'm I'm live every Thursday, man, just talking my shit, man. And it's like, you have to watch it or listen to it at that time and it's gone? Like, more like radio? Like, it's not Um, not documented anywhere or archived? And so, um, I know, as you know, like a lot of podcasts and a lot of DJs have switched their, their platform to online. So, I don't necessarily DJ live, but I play music, and it's actually, you can, it's a podcast, you can watch it. Like, when I'm talking, you see me, and I'm going over my old man rants, right. or I'm playing music, but the thing is, a lot of, with playing, you know, popular music, copyrighted music, you know, a lot of DJs have been getting shut down on Facebook, on, on, on Twitter, just what have you, just because of the copyright issues. So my uh, to answer your question, my show does um, get archived and played after, but a lot of the times, if I don't archive it and repost it myself, 
a lot of the audio will be taken out because certain permissions and certain uh, copyright right. um, come into effect. So to hear my show in its entirety and without being tampered, because there's there's sometimes where I don't even archive my own show just because I do it live and, and then I'm on to the next one. So it's like, yeah, it's kind of like radio. If you don't listen, you're kind of going to miss it because you either might miss some of the copyrighted material that is taken out the next day or whatever. So, and, 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 and it's halfway my fault too, because if I did archive it, that means I could post it here and not worry about, you know, getting this audio taken out. I just have to pick a spot, you know, to where I know it's going to be safe. So I've only, I've been on for about, like I said, the last, the last week in May was my first show. So I've been on that long and I've probably only archived, archived probably one show. So I highly suggest you're going to check out this old man talking this shit. I highly suggest you catch it live. in church on Sunday morning Grandma's hand played a tambourine so well Grandma's hand used to issue out a warning she'd say Billy don't you run so fast might fall on a piece of glass might be snakes there in that grass Grandma's hand Unwed mother, grandma's hand used to ache sometimes and swell. Grandma's hand used to lift her face and tell her she'd say, Baby, grandma, understand that you really love that man. Put yourself in Jesus' hands, grandma's hand. Grandma's hand. To hand me piece of candy, Grandma's hand. Pick me up each time I fell, Grandma's hand. Boy, they really came in a handy. She'd say, Matty, don't you whip that boy. What you wanna spank him for? He didn't drop no apple core, but I don't have Grandma anymore. If I get to heaven, I'll look for Grandma. on your show but that particular Bill Withers song Grandma's Hands I man I just I just had to hear it but I, I've been thinking about my grandmother lately and you know I was raised by my grandmother so none of this would be happening right now me talking to you me having a career in DJing because my grandmother raised me she gave me her record collection um before she passed away she, you know that was something you know I she just passed away within the last 10 years but uh, like I said, I've been DJing for 27 years, and that was something that made me think of her, that made all of this possible. So 
Bill Withers, hell of a song, Grandma's Hands, and we're going to get into this last joint. Um, Powers That Be by Hieroglyphics. We've been talking about a lot of touring, um, a lot of hats that DJs wear, such as myself, I'm a booking agent. And so, man, uh, I, I booked the last two Hieroglyphics tours, and this song is like one of the closing songs that they do every day. So, we're going to get into that. They say I'm like Bruce Willis, unbreakable, die hard. True sickness, put this mic on the tripod. But I'm not Chow Yun, fat dig, I'm still a pillar of stone. Flows into your skull. Mash on your whole militia like I'm Hannibal. Imagine you the antelope, and I'm the king of the jungle. Animal instinct, phenomenal stamina. Just think about a man on the brink of insanity. And it's me, you not a rapper, you a movie star. Checking who we are, be the cootie tar. Molotov cocktail. Checking you can score this cool regardless. A marvelous, majestic, no retardedness. All my power harness shit, my spoken word. Like a Voltron sword And these poems post to arsenic Every medley, deadly Come as far with us when the instrumental begins, the timid they wince. They know when it's finna commence. We bout to crush them, reach out and touch them before they scream out. We gon' pull these things out and bust them, rub them out like dry erase. Thug it out like the United States. It's us against the world. Popular opinion. <laughs> they scoff cause we was different, but we did it all for independence. Now we go off them with a vengeance. Hand them their heads. Paint the landscape who we read with the nerve and will of a bunch of determined killers who always make their marks and never hesitate to spark. Strike first, take their hearts with the right verse. Cause confusion Never underestimate the power of illusion We use it Start a whole revolution of music Man, we do this It's just all we know The powers that be It's in you It's in me And MC That's all we know The powers that be It's in you It's in me And MC That's all we know The powers that be It's in you It's in me And MC That's all we know The powers that be It's in you It's in me And MC Whatever, I don't know why you even play yourself to that degree You laugh at me, like I won't slap the teeth out your grill That's how I feel, you out of order You about a quarter inch away from fist and face Your distant gaze make you think your brain drips away To land of wonder, only to awaken by the sound of cannon thunder All of those damn assumptions, you a sad sack Mad whack, straight up and down, ass cracking, that's that Get a load of Dell, I divide word wells I be spitting globes as a mission unfolds Your tits are printed Centerfold. Hate the dish you for, but you're fictional I'm just kinda different, yo What I say is start provoking Not for joking, see I know things They told kings, why you always cling to whatever the, the dough brings It's in you, it's in me, and MC That's all we know Hieroglyphics came, triumphant reign, uncontained Running through the plains of some hunted slaves Emperors who were meant to be entered into the end of the world As it's spent to the heat of the sun's temperature hot Distance measure how many flows I got Persistent pressure as we get this Better for the business and the betterment of my folks All my green stars mount up, ready, let's go We sustained by the earth cause we came out of her The devils get slain when I sling slang Hotter than a lot of lava From the Bay to the Bahamas all the way to Cabo Cabo We parlaying clocking dollars like Good fellas, suckers get jealous Cause we make lettuce and we still rebellious And the industry could never jail us All my niggas free to be ourselves And our records still sell This is Hip Hop Olympics Hieroglyphics the dream team Rappers living out of their means Trying to bling bling Get your fat chain stole Get your whole crew exposed We done had them dog dog I'm magical and when I grab these flows Out the hat it blows them back To the last three rows We mashing, massive, action, packed It's hit them with a passion And that's it Powers it be 
It's seen you, it's in me And MC, that's all we know The powers that be, it's in you It's in me, and MC, that's all we know The powers that be, it's in you It's in me, and MC, that's all we know The powers that be, it's in you It's in me, and MC, that's all we know I wanted to mention that earlier too. You were saying you're a promoter, and um, we've we've touched a little bit on your on your history. But I remember you posting uh, when you were booking those tours, like this is the biggest thing I've ever done as a promoter, and it was right. Yes. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, well, I say uh, not a promoter. I'm 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 a booking agent as well right, right, right. as as, as a, a DJ. But um, so yeah, when I got when I got the opportunity, man, to book for hieroglyphics, that was like huge for me. You know, uh, uh, huge as in me being number one, a big fan of hieroglyphics. Hieroglyphics is top top five groups of all time for me. Um, that's number one. Number two, I have known these guys uh, for a long time. For a long, for a long time, you know, like even before '93, till Infinity dropped, I, I I've been knowing these guys. Just just growing up in the Bay Area, you cannot not know who the hieroglyphics were, and just 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 from that alone. And what's crazy is how that even came about. Is me and Casual have. Uh, a slight, pretty good, pretty pretty good history as far as DJ and MC. Also, because uh, you know, we like I said, we touched on it. You know, me being a DJ, but booking has been my thing ever since I, I was on that first tour with the Coup back in 2006. So what I did was I made sure every city that I went to, you know, I was the support act. You know, which is a glorified uh, position of opening act, <laughs> um, you know, so nobody knew who I was, and this was my first tour, granted, but each night, I knew who, you know, I knew who was paying people, 
So who you know, when I witnessed that, when I know who's who's running the show, I made sure I got everybody's business card on that tour. And it was it was a major nationwide tour. So I, I went and started my own thing the next year. You know, and so booking, you know, I was doing stuff here and there and then fast forward. 2014, which I founded my own independent tour with Z-Man along with Cat Slick and, you know, people like always asking, you know, how come uh, these guys are always on this tour and you guys have, but you guys have different headliners and Z-Man was actually the, the headliner in the first year, but the reason why is because we, all three of us founded this, that tour together. It was our brainchild at the time, and what we wanted to do, we wanted to figure out how could we um, not alone get, you know, not, you know, get out of our, out of the Bay Area to do shows in other places. Number one, that was number one. Number two is we wanted to see how we can compete with uh, the other underground uh, tour that was popular of, of that time and it was like nothing like it you know for underground hip-hop and i'm talking about how the ground stole christmas tour mm. that was that was the thing uh that was you know people looked for forward to every year and i i and i knew firsthand because i was on the first one you know i was on the first tour so um i kind of knew and i was like okay we gotta figure out something that you know that we could do on our own well, they that just ended it, didn't maybe, they? Maybe build up to it, like because we were never really, never in competition with, uh, you know, how the with the Grouse and his independent tour. We were never in competition. That was something that we wanted to be, aspire to be. You know, say so we wanted to get to that level, and so that was the reason why we Slap Frost was ever created in the first place. We wanted to be, we wanted to do something like, like how the Grouse was doing. You know, because we can't sit around. Like, I was on it one year, uh, but, you know, that was with, uh, you know, my, my old group at the time. Uh, I used to be in a group called the Daliens. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, man. And so, just booking, just fast forward that, man, that's how the Slap Frost Tour came about. And then the whole um, hype of me and Casual rocking together. So, when I started booking... One of my first, the first uh, nationwide tour that I ever booked was with the Alcoholics, Cali Agents, and Casual. And so Casual's DJ, which is Teray uh, from Hieroglyphics, couldn't make that tour. And so I was the DJ for Cali Agents, and I also booked the tour. And um, so Casual came along with that tour. Um, with the agreement that we made was his DJ couldn't and he would do it for a certain amount of money because he didn't have a DJ to pay. And so he didn't have to pay me because I volunteered my services to DJ for him. And it would be, you know, it worked out better because he didn't have to pay a DJ and I'm booking the tour. And so I ended up DJing him for him and Cali agents on that tour. So, that was that established me and Casual's relationship, and Casual taught me a lot. Uh, like I said, that was my first nationwide tour. So Casual um, taught me a lot about touring. You know, just you know, because he's been on. You know, at this time, and this was this was um, 2013. Um, this was the um, 
Clash of the Titans tour. Like I said, casual. Uh, like I said, alcoholics, county agents, and casual. So this is 2013. So 2013, the hieroglyphics have been there and done that, you know, umpteen times. So uh, casual had taught me a lot about touring. And one thing specifically he taught taught me about was this thing um, called a day sheet. So uh, a day sheet is a very involved itinerary, which tour managers, tour bookers, uh, uh, promoters, talent buyers, agents, they, they all know this term. They all know what it is. And, you know, up until to this point, I had no idea what a day sheet was. And so when the tour was going on, I would say this is about 15, no, let me see, about 12 people in a 15-passenger van. All the artists on the tour, the merch people, the DJs, everybody was in one van, pulling the trailer, you know, opening acts, DJs, everybody was in one van, right? And so, you know, when you're going city to cities, state to state, you have to be at a certain place at a certain time, you have to, you know, gas, this, hotels, that, sound check, all of that comes into play. Now, everybody, you know, as far as, like, I'm the only person out of 12 people in this van that knows everything, what time, you know, I'm the only person. You know, certain people might be privy to this information or what have you, but at any given time, I'm the only person in this van that has this information. And so when, you know, and everybody knows that, so everybody's asking me this and this, 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 you know, a million questions every day. And I, you know, after the first couple of days, and I'm fairly new to this, being a tour manager and all this, and so casual pulled me aside one day and he was like, look, you know, everybody's going to be on your helmet and you need a day sheet. He's like, you need, to, you need to make a day sheet. And he explained to me what it was. So it's a master list of everything you have to do from, from 6 o'clock in the morning to 6 o'clock the next morning. On tour, every hour is pretty much spoken for. So he, you know, explained to me, you know, what a day sheet was. And, and it's so much, so much information. And I was like, okay. So I didn't sleep. For the next two days, I did I did the shows, and, you know, but in my own time in the hotel online, I created I created these day sheets. He sent me an example from a hieroglyphics tour of you know, bro, and it it's so serious. Like and it's like at the highest level, you know. what I'm saying that at, at a fucking hieroglyphics tour. So this is me booking my first nationwide tour. So he sends me an example. So the next two days, I spend like from where where everybody's supposed to meet, whether it be in the lobby or the van, when we're leaving that particular city, leaving that city, gas stop, food stop, sound check, uh, name of the hotel, name of the venue, just everything, a master list of everything, a master itinerary. And so I spent two days making that thing and then once I had it and I was able to like hey this is the day sheet this is what's going on whether it's whether it was a file on somebody's phone a document or I printed it out everybody knew 
And so once, once, and Casual knew as well, once everybody had that information, it's kind of like a load, load off. Nobody's bothering me. Nobody's on my helmet. Everybody has the information. So the tour went so much smoother after that, bro. So much smoother. And that was like something invaluable. Like I had been doing tours or booking tours or shows a couple of years before that. But it's just when you get to a certain level and somebody, you know, a, a legend in the game was passing down the information, you know, so that just, that was so valuable to me and I still use them to this day, you know, so that started like me and Casual's relationship. We were always really cool. So I, um, and then in turn after that, Casual had his 20 year anniversary tour of Fear Itself. Mm. and he called me to be his DJ on that tour and it was it really meant a lot to him because he went out on tour and he booked I had no nothing to do with booking this tour I just went as DJ and he booked the tour it was his 20 year anniversary so basically it was me casual casual's wife was driving and she was the merch person and I was the DJ. And so we got in a, a, a rental car, all three of us, and toured the West Coast um, for about a month. And the dynamic, I've ne- I had never really seen that dynamic. A husband, wife, DJ, uh, you know, booking agent, uh, merch person, all in one car. You know, three people, all these jobs in one car. Keep and so I kind of, like kind of solidified and further me and Casual's relationship as, you know, friends, homies, uh, professionals, MC, DJ, right? So that was his anniversary tour. And then, so I think we went on the road another time after that. And then I got him, you know, then I in turn brought him on as a co-headliner of Slap Frost 2018. So it was I and I, and and casual and from there and then that year we actually did a lot of places that we normally didn't go because Slash Ross started off as a regional tour being a primarily west coast tour and and so uh we hit the midwest on that on that tour that year with casual and then during that time a lot of people on the west coast we're like, hey, our normal routing was not there. So they're like, hey, what you guys are forgetting about us. And, you know, like Flat Frost had started to become like something that people were looking forward to on the underground hip hop tip. So that was great. But at the same time, I can't alienate the people that, you know, you've got to give the people what they want. So in turn, if the West Coast is looking for Flat Frost and they're not getting it, that's my job to give it to them. So we can, we actually continued um, 2018 in the, into 2019 in January 2019, and we continued. It was the second leg of that tour, and we continued with just Casual. Casual was the headliner of the West Coast leg of of that year of 2019, and so that really solidified me and Casual's relationship. And I don't know if you know, but uh, casual is is actual the the, the manager and who's running the day to day for hieroglyphics as a whole. I knew this. A lot of people didn't know. Um, 
But, you know, meaning, you know, he's he's the man behind hieroglyphics every day yeah. business. That's big the word. man behind Hiro Day, all you know, all of this. And so us having that relationship and being on the road, uh, Casual asked me, um, and, oh, this is what it was. I had an opportunity to book a private party for all of hieroglyphics. So I, I booked, and you know, that was the first time me booking the whole group. So I booked the show for, it was a one-off private party. And I booked it while we were still on the road. And so within that, um, Casual asked me, like, yo, you think you could book a whole tour? And I was like, are you serious? He was like, if you could do it, let's do it. And I was, so that's like, you know, you could imagine how, how big my eyes got being, <laughs> you know, being asked to book a tour for hieroglyphics, you know, on their, you know, anniversary tour, 20 years of Third Eye Vision. You know, so that in itself was a huge honor, but it's just, you know, it was a labor of love and actually building and cultivating this relationship with uh, not only the guys that I did before that are in, because I've toured with every member of Hieroglyphics with the exception of Tajay and Dell in some form or fashion or another. Whether it be solo, like, like I'm going to repeat that, bro. I've toured with every member of Hieroglyphics in some shape, form, or fashion except for Dell and Tajay. So, just building those relationships and not only my relationship with different members, but with Casual himself, who's running hieroglyphics, and, you know, for me to book that, like I, like like you mentioned, that was the biggest thing of my booking career ever. As far as capacity, as far as money, like, I'm not going to put people's business out there, but I had no idea how much money these guys made. <laughs> you know, you always speculate, but until you're right there doing it, so you... You have no idea. So, yeah, that was the biggest, uh, and still is, to this, to date, to date. I've, I've done tours there, tours now. It's still, like, the biggest thing I've ever done as far as, you know, booking-wise. booking, booking wise. Yes, So I, that was that was huge for me, bro. Yeah, man. I, that's I even saw that. I was like, holy cow. And I know you do stuff on that level, but that seemed like a, a step. I think you sent me an email kind of inquiring like yo i got this tour and i was just like oh i i gotta tap out on that one man like i'm having a hard enough time just getting one of those guys out here with these venues well that that just goes to show like me and you even like that first time that we tried to bring that show to meow wolf you know like bro this that's not that wasn't the first time that we tried to get something popping out there and you know at that particular spot and 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 it won't be the last we tried to play sinai there it didn't happen they were open you know, and and I'm definitely uh, really thankful for the for the lane that the lane that you open up for me because with that particular tour, the third leg of the hieroglyphics tour was supposed to come through, um, you know, through Santa Fe, New Mexico, and it almost happened uh, based on you know you 
me and you just staying adamant about getting the show there and you making sure I have the information. So they were, they actually, Meow Wolf as a venue were like on me to bring hieroglyphics there so hard, but it, it just didn't happen. The tour itself, the third leg, the third part three of the tour just never happened. It's not to any fault of the city or the venue, it just didn't happen as a whole. Well, I just, but, I knew, I was like, Meow Wolf, you know, they don't, they won't just book anything and you can't say no to Hiro. I just knew I couldn't afford to throw the show, but I would do the work if someone else could afford to throw the money down, you know? Talking to you about all this yeah. is just actually making me want to do show. I mean, I always want to do shows. I've missed it, but I tend to just keep myself busy enough not to think about it. But all these talks, I'm like, oh, I want to get on the road. I want to do some music. Well, I'm t- I'll tell you, man, I, I, I know uh, uh, we're, we're coming up on, on pretty much talking all day, so we'll, we'll keep it. we'll keep it short and sweet but I, but I'm glad you mentioned that because like when when I felt the same way when we came home there was no shows to do and you you know even even when you come home and when you do like a tour like when you start to finish and everything goes as planned as soon as you get home man within uh within 48 hours you you miss that you miss being on the road you miss the camaraderie with your brothers you miss uh performing you know, your material that means so much to you and it connecting with crowds, you miss all of that immediately. And in yeah. our case, it was taken from us. We didn't finish, you know what I'm saying? Due to the, to the pandemic, we didn't finish. We were caught, we had to go home. Uh, we ran into some issues even coming home. We were, I don't know if you know, but we were stranded in Missoula, Montana for like four days due to car problems. Oh, I did. Yeah, I was so, seeing those posts. Yeah, so that was, that was kind of crazy, man. But coming home and just missing that whole thing, I I kind of like within I would say weeks, with the weeks of being home, shelter in place uh, for COVID nineteen, I figured I'm like, hey, it just it just dawned on me, it just came to me, and I was like, it was like, man, you were on the road with not only four incredibly talented musicians, you know what I'm saying? I'm speaking of vocab slick, Z-Man, Michael Marshall, and Equipto. Not only were you just on the road with these talented individuals, but you're meeting so many talented performers, MCs, DJs in every city across the country. Because we made it back. It was a nationwide tour that we went out on. Like I said, January 17th, we started in Los Angeles with Hieroglyphics. Um, and then we went all the way to March 13th. Our last show was in Jackson, Wyoming. So we did do the whole country and make it back, but we were saving that, that West coast region that I spoke on. We were saving that, you know, our home region for last. So the whole momentum of the tour was supposed to end on the West coast and ultimately in the Bay area. But you know, that didn't happen. Shit happens. But it came to me. I was like, "Yo, you gotta, you gotta do a project." And it went from doing doing a project to a mixtape with all of these talented people that I met on the road, you know, and still in contact with some relationships. Like, were so tough that I, you know, I invited some of uh, my people that were on the road with us in the Midwest, like Ramel with with two L's and James Day Noir. They were on different legs of the tour like to do the whole country you have to you know you have to do you know you gotta do the midwest 
got to do the East Coast. We definitely got to do down South and come home to the West Coast. And we did that. And so some of our homeboys, you know, we, we hit it off. The shows were going so well. We invited them. Hey, come to the West Coast. Come, you know what I'm saying? Come. We came to your town, your hometown. You showed us some love in your hometown. Come, come to our hometown and end off this incredible tour, you know, in the Bay with us. And so we had, you know, built like real dope friendships, real camaraderie. So what I did, I was like, okay, I can't go nowhere, but I definitely can make some music. And I definitely, um, you know, can do it a little quicker as opposed to, you know, the traditional, you know, making beats and all of that and sending emails and vocals and going to the studio you know, on a traditional tip, uh, you know, mi- doing a mixtape is a little bit quicker. It's a little bit quicker process because you have some of the music you already have, whether it's original or like when people say mixtape style beats, meaning copyrighted material, other people's material that you that you use or borrow at that particular time and do it, you know, do an exclusive 16 or do an exclusive song over a different beat song that immediately came to mind. So I was like, I gotta get this song. Like everybody that I was on tour with, I sent them music. I know. Let me backtrack. I didn't send them music. I actually put together the music on my, you know, on my DJ program in Serato. I put, you know, this song, this song. I had no idea who was gonna be on any song, but music-wise, this was the flow. I was gonna use this track, this track, and me looking for like maybe some exclusive stuff. I ended up going through all my files. And then I ran across so much music that was not labeled. It wasn't labeled at all. I didn't know who did the beat. I didn't know who gave it to me. I don't know whose music it was. Just from being a DJ and doing these shows, because you get, like at any given show, you might get two or three flash drives of people that are performing. And, you know, I, I tend to, you know, you know, clear that off of my computer, but you don't, you're not always that fast. You're not always as diligent about erasing, you know, other people's material off your computer. Because oh, I've forgotten so many, I've forgotten so many you know hard drives I mean? to like, a, with a D, like as a DJ, I'm sure you have so many thumb drives from this rapper, that rapper who gave it to you before they're set and then forgot to get it. So many. Bro. I've lost dozens. So, <laughs> yeah, man. And so I found myself going through and it was like a handful of songs instrumentals, I'm talking about instrumentals, there was a handful of instrumentals where I had no idea where they came from, but they were so fire. I was like, I gotta use this. And so, I so I put those with the songs that I definitely wanted to use, and I basically put together, like, usually when you do a mixtape, it should be like an about an hour long. So I made, so I put this, this playlist together of music about an hour long of stuff that I knew where it came from, stuff that I didn't know where it came from. I didn't know who was going to be on it. So I put that together as a mixtape. I'm going to use this. So based on that music, that is the music that I sent out to everybody. Like, you know, you got home, but hey, you want to get on this? You want to get on this? I'm working on it. So that was my whole thing while we came home. Within weeks of being home from COVID-19, I was like, yo, I'm going to put out this mixtape. And... That for that simple reason of me having tracks that I didn't know where they came from, um, I'm gonna call this. Uh, I had this whole, you know, in my mind, it just came to me, and all of this came to me like at once. Like the whole vision for the mixtape, the title, everything came to me at once after I put together this music. 
So there was stuff that I didn't have and I didn't have permission to use, but I used it anyway. So I called my mixtape to whom it may concern. And I was like, this is early, bro. We came home in March. This was late March, early April. I'm like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to put this thing together to whom it may concern. There's stuff that I, that I don't have permission. It's totally unauthorized. And I'm going to be like, you know, if you heard your stuff on my mixtape, I'm sorry. This is my little disclaimer letter, like to whom it may concern. I, I'm, I apologize for not asking your permission to use your wonderful composition on this incredibly but totally unauthorized mixtape. You know, that was my whole disclaimer. I mean, that's that. That's so, the cover too, right? I mean, it's not only just the disclaimer. That is, that is that the artwork. Is actually, the cover, <laughs> and that is actually the title. But to whom it may concern, for short. But nice. the whole letter on the cover of my mixtape is the title of the mixtape. It's just to whom it may concern, for short. I mean, that's just cutting it off right at the like first thought. Like, okay, <laughs> just cover your bases right there. That's clever. <laughs> exactly. Um, so man, and that was my whole thing. And I was like, okay. And I'm like, usually I, you know, around my birthday, you know, do a party or I'm on the road for my birthday. I was like, this COVID shit, you know, that's not going to happen for my birthday. So instead of, you know, doing that, I was like, you know, I'm going to put this out on my birthday. I'm going to, I'm going to put out a mixtape. I'm going to give the world a mixtape for my birthday. So I'm looking at my birthday is August 23rd, which was a Sunday this year. So I'm like, well, albums don't come out on Sunday anymore. Well, ne albums never have come out on Sunday. They used to come out on Tuesdays, but now albums come out on Fridays. So I was like, the Friday before my birthday is August 21st. And bro, mind you, this is back, like I said, this is back early April, late May. So I was like, I'm going to put out a mixtape on August 21st, and I'm going to call it To Whom It May Concern. So I totally put myself in the box, but that was a goal that I wanted to do. And um, lo and behold, August 21st, I released To Whom It May Concern. It's 78 minutes of music. Um, we played the, the first joint. Uh, it's called The Last Rap. There's so many stories on the Dude, we could talk about that mixtape a whole nother podcast. So many stories of dope, but that's but that mixtape, those songs on that mixtape uh, represent three months of touring, oh, and that's, wow. a lot, that's a lot to say. So I took uh, three months of touring and I kind of put it in the seventy-eight minute mixtape because there's people from all around the country people right here, some surprises, some people that weren't on the tour. Man, it, it, it's crazy, man. So you guys check that out when you can. DJTrueJustice.Bandcamp.com to whom it may concern. There's a video out that I dropped the same day and it's called What You Talking About? And there's three more videos that are going to come out in the next year because I'm going to be promoting this thing for a whole year because um, my goal with this mixtape, like I just ex described, I want people to know what's up. So I made a personal goal of having 20,000 downloads of this mixtape in a year's time. So as of August 21st, that's where we at with that one. Man, we, we could talk about this 
all day, all night. So let's see, let's see if we can come back and uh, do a part two or something. But I, I definitely want to shout out yourself and thank you for your time. I want to shout out to everybody who's listening. Thank you for your time. And lastly, thank you for supporting that To Whom It May Concern mixtape in advance on DJTrueJustice.BandCamp.com. Man, I thank y'all so much.